Welcome to the Voice of Business, the official podcast of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii. I'm your host, Joe McGarry. The podcast is brought to you today by Altruist. Glenn Wakai entered the world of public service in 2002 when he was elected to the State House of Representatives. He moved to the Senate in 2010 and is currently the chairman of the Energy, Economic Development and Tourism Committee. He's the vice chairman of the Judiciary and Public Safety Committees. Prior to politics, Glenn spent 11 years in television news. His reporting career began in Guam and he later moved to Saipan to build a TV station from scratch. He returned to Hawaii in 1995 to become a reporter for KHON Fox 2 and KHNL News 8. Glenn graduated from the University of Southern California with degrees in journalism and sociology and has a minor in business administration. Outside of the capital, he runs his own public relations firm, High Impact Communications, and is also president of Reach Out Pacific, a nonprofit which takes surplus medical and educational supplies to Micronesia. Glenn is on the board of Aloha Medical Mission and the Japanese Cultural Center. Senator Glenn Wakai, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I loved reading out your bio, and I don't always start off the podcast that way, but I just think that it shows such a diversity of, to me, someone who isn't content with just doing one thing, someone who does something because it's leading them on to the next thing. Is that how your life has developed? Has that been a theme that you've learned what to do to go next? I just embrace every new experience. So even when I started my television career in Guam and Saipan, you know, as a journalist, you always are kind of paid to be fair, right? You, you cannot advocate one way or another on any story that you're, you're doing. Um, but I took my experiences from Guam and Saipan and, and understanding the Micronesian experience. And now as I kind of uh, matriculated into the political arena where your job is to advocate for things. I've taken that experience from Guam and Saipan to figure out how can I use my political powers to help uh, enhance the lives of those in Micronesia. So I've taken over the course of 12 years or so about $5 million worth of medical and education supplies from here over to that part of the world where there are not full libraries, where there's medical care that's very... Uh, below what Western expectations are. So I, I really embrace all the experiences and, and try to figure out how do I put all the pieces together to make good things happen. So how did the pieces go together from a career that was going towards journalism and the media to one that's very definitely moving forward in politics? Well, two things happened back in 2002. The main thing is that um, the internet and uh, mobility changed the way people consumed information. No longer were they waiting for me to tell them at 6 and 10 o'clock about what transpired during the day. If it happens at 9 o'clock in the morning, it's on my phone at 9.01. Um, and so I realized that the, the world of journalism and communications was changing um, and, in my opinion, diluting uh, the value of being a journalist. And I never want to be, have, have, be in a posi position where someone tells me, uh, Glenn, you're fired. You need to move on because we have budget constraints or what have you. If I know that the, the world is changing, I'm trying to get in, fr in front of that. So I decided it's time for me to go look for another opportunity. And after 11 years in the news business, it was fun. It was exciting. Every day is different. But 
ultimately it was empty because I'm telling the public what someone else is doing. As a journalist, I'm not doing anything. I'm not having a hand in changing society, hopefully for the better. And I wanted to be part of that group that actually had a cha cha chance to improve education, improve our prison system, improve our roads, improve our community. And so that's why I think it's, it's, it's almost serendipitous that I landed up in the world of politics. Are there any similarities between your former life and the life you have now? I mean, do you bring to the table some things? I mean, I think I know what the answer is, but do you bring things with you that perhaps your colleagues don't have? I will always boast that the best foundation for life in politics is a life in journalism because journalism teaches you to gather a huge amount of information, distill it quickly, and then articulate it in the way of the TV side in 90 seconds um and as you can imagine the world of politics it's a huge amount of information um and i love politics because i i'm an intellectual sponge i want to know how society functions and how every piece of society works together so it's it, i feel like i get a master's degree in everything in politics and journalism you know the analogy of a journalist is you're a mile wide and you're an inch thick in politics you're 10 miles wide and 25 feet deep and so I, I, I just feel that uh, a life in journalism is a really good foundation for a life in politics. And also what a journalism teaches you is about fairness. Oftentimes there's more than two sides to a story. And in politics, there's multiple sides to any issue. And journalists help, journalism teaches you to kind of decipher the truth from, from the not so truthful uh, presentation. So I think journalism is a, is a great foundation for a life in politics. I want to take something that you've just said and lead into the, the, the next few questions that I have for you in your position as the chairman of the Energy, Economic Development and Tourism Committee. So when you say that part of the, the, the work of journalists is to gather huge amounts of information and dissect it and then come up with a story to tell, and then the part of the work of our uh, senators is to listen to stories and act upon them. There's a very big story in Hawaii on tourism and how we have watched it almost being destroyed and taken away from us and how we're watching it just sort of come back again as if nothing happened. I, I wanted to chat with you really about Hawaii pre-COVID and specifically with, the, with an emphasis on tourism what we learned and where are we now where are we going to go from this what have we learned from it from 2019 was a banner year in tourism we had 10.4 million visitors a lot of people in this community were were discussing over tourism and crying about how they were uh, their views were being neglected and tourists were were trampling through their neighborhoods and being uh, very disrespectful and then covid hit we had two years of practically no tourism at one point, and then it's, it's slowly re resurging. And what troubles me is during these two years, when we should have been talking about diversification of our economy, we as a state didn't do anything to diversify. We're back to the same mode, which is tourism. Um, right now, that we're expecting to get somewhere in the order of 8 million visitors this year. I guarantee you in 2023 and four, we're going to be back up to that 10 million visitor count. And then we're going to be having the same really terrible discussions in our community about 
over tourism. We should have been talking about diversification of our economy during this two-year time period. So why did that conversation not happen? If, if someone said to us right now, I'm going to give you 23 months to come up with a really good sustainable plan for agriculture and education and training our people here in different industries, we would think 23 months, wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. But 23 months have passed since tourism completely was removed from the island. And as you say, we're almost back to those obscene levels of tourism. There can't have been anybody who didn't see that $10.4 million figure and have an element of fear in them that this isn't sustainable. Why were the questions not asked? Why, why, why have we done nothing? One, a lack of, a lack of a strategy and vision. And then most importantly, two, a lack of courage to put in to place an action plan to get going. Um, some of the examples were, even before we had that tourism discussion, the 30-meter telescope on the Big Island, it's a $2.4 billion, billion dollar project that's just sitting there and there's no action on it. In my opinion, you either cut bait or you move forward. You don't let things just hang. But we have a, an administration today that lets things hang. I've been working for 12 years on a stadium. Um, we're for the past three years, I'm just going back and forth with the administration on get the RFP out. We need to get moving on the stadium. And, you know, they're hemming and hawing all, you know, the financing is not perfect. Well, you know, as a realtor, the financing always isn't always perfect from the time you sign the, the document, right? Sometimes it has to kind of work itself out uh, through escrow and beyond. But in government, we're paralyzed because it's not perfect. Our, our default position is to do nothing. And that's what we've had over the past two years during COVID is, well, we don't really know what we're doing and we're afraid to do it. So let's not do anything. And that's the problem we have in, in government is, is paralysis. And we've got to get beyond that. But how do you get beyond that? I mean, it, it's beyond our own really belief that we can be, again, putting ourselves into a position to be so reliant upon tourism and neglecting so many other areas. Um, I just keep thinking of education all the time because it, there's so obviously a need for us to get into high schools and start training people. And there are some amazing programs happening, training our children to go into our own local industries and home growing our own local talent. But it's not enough, right? Not enough has been doing to do that. Why, why is there such a reluctance on the part of the people who make decisions about Hawaii? Is it just purely economics, purely financial, that tourism is just the low-hanging fruit, that it does bring in so many millions of dollars, billions of dollars? Is it as simple as that? It's as simple as a lack of cohesion in government. You know, the, the American way of checks and balances is beautiful on many fronts, right? To make sure that every branch of government is checking on each other. But when one branch of government isn't executing, then we have a problem. So you have a situation where the, I think the legislative branch has come up with some ideas, has put the dollars behind those ideas, and the execution is flawed. We have an administration that doesn't see that, uh, see one, see the vision, and then see two, see the value in moving forward on that vision. And that's where our problem is in, is in the execution of ideas to help diversify our economy. So it's not that we don't have the ideas and it's not that we don't have the people who really know things that would work. It's a lack of will, a lack of ability to move, or a lack of desire to move. I think it's mostly a lack of 
desire. They don't want to try new things because they don't know if the outcome is really going to be as one has envisioned. But unless you take a risk, you're never going to find out um, what the possibilities are. And that's why we just recoil back to tourism because we know we're successful at it. Do you think it's a particularly Hawaii thing that we're seeing? Or do you think it's just that we're in a situation where tourism is it's so easy? You know, it's so simple to attract people here and have them spend money. Uh, or is it, is it just a Hawaii thing? Is it just the way that we do things? I think it's both. Um, we're happy and content and we all choose to live in the most beautiful place on earth. But with our smaller society and with so few lines of separation, it's hard to, to push people to do things differently, right? You don't want to go out and anger someone and say something negative because that could be your aunties, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, neighbor, right? And because of that uh, close connection between all of us here, there's a lot of times a hesitation to push people to do something differently. So we kind of embrace inertia. We love the status quo in Hawaii. I'm of the opposite mindset that I love chasing possibilities. And that's where the rub is in how do we, how do we, have this beautiful sense of Hawaii that there's comfort, there's richness, there's culture, there's nostalgia, but at the same time realize that there's opportunities that are out there. And that's where the, the rub is. And that's where we have difficulty in moving Hawaii be beyond what we're capable of and comfortable with doing every single day. So where do we start? I mean, for you know, the stadium is a really good example, right? Of something that is just absolutely... I mean, one step forward, 17 steps back, and you keep nudging that along like the tortoise and the hare race. I mean, it, and it's been ever thus, you know. I mean, there are people who believe that that project will never come to fruition, and they'd be quite, you know, justified in thinking that. I think that's a good example of what you're talking about, of how there's sort of a stagnant situation at times with leadership where they just are not sure something's going to work, so they'd rather not do it. But when we look at tourism, what, what concerns, I think, a lot of people is that look what's just happened. So, of course, we had the kind of silent period where no one was flying in. And I think everybody realized that was devastating for all the people who you know, work in the industry. And, and there's so many people reliant on the tourism industry. But what happened like just eight months ago was that all of a sudden the tourist that was filling up Waikiki was what I'm calling kindly the budget tourist. There was a person coming to Waikiki who was looking for the cheapest possible experience, the cheapest possible way of eating out. They were not going in and spending money in nice restaurants and tipping extremely well. They were driving out to the suburbs and going to Safeways and stocking up on you know cooler things for their hotel room. I mean, all good for them. I hope they all had a great time. But who... Where is the vision there? I mean, who is the person saying, let's fly in as many people on cheap flights as we possibly can to fill up Hawaii? Instead of taking a step back and saying, look, we can go after a much higher level of tourism here. There's a Hawaii that needs to be appreciated. There's a, there's a culture here that is so phenomenal from its roots all the way through to modern day. We need to nurture that. We need to show people that. But they have to pay for it. They have to come here on a different experience. Sorry, this is the longest question in history. Um, who, I mean, who's, who's responsible for that? When you see things like that happening, you know, sometimes you must just put your head in your hands. Sure. I, we can't control the fact that the airlines put Hawaii on sale. 
right? But we can't control once they land here what, what that experience is. And for, for tourism, there are two things that we should have been addressing uh, over the past two years. One is short-term vacation rentals. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that these tourists that you spoke of, cheapos, are in our neighborhoods, in Lanikai, in Mililani, in Haleiwa, where they shouldn't be, and irritating everybody in that cul-de-sac is a, is a problem. Um, and also, to your point, they're generally the more budget-minded folks that don't want to pay a handsome uh, sum of money to Ritz-Carlton, Halikulani, and, uh, and the Sheraton. Um, so we should have been taking care of that, to put real guardrails around the short-term vacation rentals to make sure that there's fewer of them and the ones that are here are you know at a at a rate that isn't twenty five bucks for a room in a camper van someplace. Mm -hmm. um, the other issue that we should have been taking care of for tourism over the two past two years is how do we monetize our state parks and lands? I mean, they're over. I mean, Hanuma Bay is a good example, right? Where you Tuesday, I think you can't go there, and they 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 uh, sell tickets and they manage how many people go to Hanuma Bay. Mm -hmm. The state hasn't figured that out yet. I mean, look at Diamond Head. Up until a year ago, it was a dollar, a dollar to go up the landmark uh, mm -hmm. hike up Diamond Head. Last year, they raised it to five bucks. I think it should be north of 10 bucks. But we're getting to a, to a point where we really look at our assets and are trying to monetize them. And I'm a believer that the best way to adjust social behavior is oftentimes through the pocketbook. If you make the Diamond Head walk a dollar, you're going to get 1.5 million visitors walking up there. You make Diamond Head a $10 walk, you'll get like 800,000 people walking up there. So you can use the pocketbook as a means to manage people's uh, behavior and not have things overrun the way they have been in the past. And, and to answer the point that, you know, a lot of people would bring up and say, well, it should be accessible to everyone. You know, everyone should have the opportunity to do it no matter the cost. That isn't really true when you're talking about something that is as precious as the land in Hawaii. You, you can't just let everybody trample over everything. Well, you can, but you know what's going to happen in our lifetime. So I, I think you make a good point. If everything was managed like Hanama Bay now is online, no one objects to it. It works really well. It's, it's caretaking. We're supposed to be caretakers, aren't we, of, of this land? Um, what, what do you see happening if we do return next year to 9 million tourists and then 2023 for 10 million tourists? What is going to happen? What, what do you see as the future if we just keep on relying on this tourism? You're going to see an anti-tourism resentment. It's going to backfire on us. You look at what we're trying to sell now. Malama, Kuliana, you have more and more people living in cul-de-sacs or more and more tourists living in cul-de-sacs, irritating locals. What happens to that Aloha and Malama? It goes the other way, right? You, get, you send tourists back home to Idaho, North Carolina, California with this really bad taste in their mouth. Like the people of Hawaii are very unfriendly. So we're undermining our entire marketing successes for the past hundred years of tourism by allowing the tourist industry to not have a strategy and irritating locals who then send them back with a bad taste in your mouth. This, this could be terrible in the next five years for the tourism industry. Is, are, there, are there projects in place currently? Are there, I mean, under your watch, for example, are people actively looking at tourism with a, with a means to you know, saying that we need to stop something happening is always not a good way to proceed, right? 
but to look at tourism as something that's sustainable and something that's very good for Hawaii. Are there are there those procedures in place? Are people buying into that, or is it a little bit like the stadium? Is it is it just well, we don't know how we can change it, so we better better just do the same. There is an effort um, through the Hawaii Tourism Authority for destination management, um, and so they have a each county has their own plans. Um, and a list of anywhere from like 20 to 30 different things that each uh, community wants to go and um, go after. Uh, and so here's a, that's a good example of where there's, there's a plan and then where's the execution. Mm-hmm. These 17 things you want to do cost money, but is a tourism authority putting money into uh, alleviating these, these uh, pain points? No. What the tourism authority is doing is continuing with its previous pre-2019 approach of just continuing to market market hawaii market hawaii market hawaii the marketing messaging might be a little bit different we talk about kuleana and and what have you but if i was in charge of the tourism authority i'd put some of those marketing dollars into creating a better experience for for locals and now the 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 visitors especially from the foreign countries are not coming now is the time to kind of invest in the physical plant like so for example you and i go to pali lookup beautiful windy but unless we know better, we have no idea that Kamehameha had quite a battle there. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be smart if we put Wi-Fi at Pali Lookup, we create a video that has a QR code where I can juxtaposition my phone against the beautiful backdrop and have an animated battle of King, King Kamehameha there. Right? Those are the things that, to me, the Hawaii Tourism Authority should be investing in now when, uh, because there's going to be the day when the onslaught of Japanese and Koreans and Chinese visitors come back. Uh, and then we're going to have to, you know, invest in marketing to those markets, but they're not here yet. We shouldn't be market, wasting marketing money uh, there. We should be investing in you know, helping create an enhanced local experience. We have, like, I could just talk to you so much more about, you know, especially if we got into the stadium and we didn't even touch on sports and how we really don't, I mean, just with our oceans alone, we don't really, we should be the capital of like surfing and we should you know, glorify um, our, you know, surfers and, and, and our medal winners. And we haven't even touched on that, let alone football. But, but you'll just have to come back. Come back and do a I'm, second I'm one. I'm happy to. I'll be here every week <laughs> with you, Joe. <laughs> Senator Glenn Wakai, you know, you, you have your hands full. And I think we're very grateful that you are where you are because of the journey that your life has taken you on. You are, I think, in a position to understand the story and work towards telling it in a way that's meaningful. Um, And so please continue to do that. And um, as always, we always encourage people to, um, you know, get in touch with anyone who's who you've heard on the podcast. There's always notes at the end of the interview. And uh, if you have ideas and suggestions that you think may work especially on that whole tourism thing because it's something all of us it affects all of us in every neighborhood all across the islands then you can get in touch with senator wakai thank you so much for being with us oh thank you for having me joe thank you to the chamber and altruist you have been listening to the voice of business the official podcast of the chamber of commerce hawaii brought to us today by altruist i'm your host joe mcgarry we'll see you next time for more stories of business in Hawaii.